Hey everybody, welcome back to another Photog Adventures podcast. I'm Aaron King, and you're listening to the Photography Podcast dedicated to getting you out there on an adventure of your own. I know that all of you have full-time jobs, full-time families, but you bought that camera for a reason. So pack your gear, grab your camera, get out there, get a flat tire. It's time for a Photog Adventure of your own. It's episode 167, and it feels good to be number three on the Return to the Photog Adventures podcast. Every one of you who are coming on and listening or just never took me off your phone or podcast catcher, thank you so much. It's so great to see that people are actually out there listening. And of course, I say that right now without having actually seen any of the stats come through. So I'm just optimistic about it. But let's see. I'm going to predict that there is at least a thousand listens on the last two episodes and everything's going okay. But if it's not, thanks for those who, of you who are here right now. And I'm glad to be back and talking photography. And today I'm going to interview a guy who I first met when I saw his amazing, almost black and white. I can't recall if it was black and white or it was just a contrast in the image that made it look black and white. It was this beautiful shot of sand dunes out in white sands. And it became a Monday moment of envy. And that's the first time I ever came across my new friend well, not new right now, but became a friend at that time, Aaron Martinez. Hey, Aaron, how's it going? Good. Thanks for thanks for having me on. Of course. I'm so glad to have you on. Aaron Martinez is a photographer out of West Texas who has recently taken up a job up in Austin. And he is a hobbyist photographer who had some awesome landscape work, like all of us, got into Milky Way photography, and then the big time came to him. He became a full-time photographer for a third largest distribution in the United States newspaper company that has a small but small readership, a giant landmass that you cover in Central Texas. So tell us a little bit real quick about your full-time job. Now, I'm going to go into how you got into it. Just tell me the logistics of what you do right now for that paper out in Austin. Okay, well, uh, I'm at, as, as of recording this podcast, I am a staff photographer. Official title is a visual journalist. He says this by the time you might be listening, he might be the director of photography. Things are going so well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm a staff photographer at the Austin American Statesman in Austin, Texas. I've been here for about two and a half months as of us recording this. And it is yeah, the, the third largest paper in the Gannett Network, which is a national network of papers, and it's part of the USA Today Network and so on and so forth. Was this a paper that you were specifically hoping to come to and work for, or had you put out a bunch of applications? So I hadn't put out a bunch because I was hoping to get hired in my hometown. Before this, I was at the El Paso Times, where I actually did my internship just after college. Uh-huh. I was a very old intern, um, <laughs> but uh, I had put out an application to a small handful of papers, this being one of them, and being honest, this one I put out just kind of like a, like a Hail Mary. I was like, really? Screw it. Let's let's see what happens. Like, I had almost no hope of ever being here. I was like, you know, if they deny it, whatever, I'll, I'll apply in like five, ten years when I have the experience, <laughs> but then... You know, I got a call one day and it was after a very long interview process. I got a call one day with a job offer and put in my two weeks in the El Paso Times that day. That's fantastic. So it was an easy decision to make when you're getting this long interview process going on. 
do they want to see your Milky Way images and landscape images, or do they only want people and crowds or something that's more on street? My guess is part of the reason they picked me is, uh, you know, I did have a lot of the the crowds and, you know, street photography and Mm. event photography, news coverage, et cetera, in my portfolio. But I also had all my nature stuff, which I guess this is all speculation. I have no idea (laughs) why they chose me. I I haven't asked. (laughs) Well, go ahead and embellish anything you need. Make yourself sound amazing. But my guess is it showed some versatility in what I did with my photography. And I think that's one of the primary reasons. And um, I guess they saw some potential that my skill as a nature photographer could translate well into news photography. Yeah, absolutely. Did they see that cool white sands image that I saw the first time I met you? Oh, I'm sure. I think I think it's on my portfolio site. But so, tell <laughs> us a little bit about that hobbyist transition to going going into the El Paso. You said it was an internship. So, did you have to take one of those classic internships where they pay you nothing, but it was good experience and it actually turned out well? It was a paid internship, and as far as transitioning from a hobby to a full time career. Basically, the career allows no time for the hobby, so it wasn't really... (laughs) (laughs) Dang, that's a reality that sucks. Yeah, I've had very, very little time to shoot for myself, but, you know, to make a living as a photographer is difficult as hell, so I'm happy (laughs) to be employed as one. And I did just find that image. You called it Dune Latitude, and it is just amazing. Would you be willing to let me use this as the cover picture for this podcast episode? Because it's really cool. Of course. I think I still have a high-res version of it for Monday Moment of Envy, but it may have been one where I just took it right from the Facebook group. So if you can email me that, that'd be awesome. So just to describe this image, if you're not looking at the podcast cover art right now, then go to aaronmartinez.myportfolio.com and go to his Chasing Light section of his images. You'll see a nature link, and then go to Chasing Light. In that gallery, you'll find this image. It's the first one. And it's not black and white, but I remembered it being practically black and white, just the way that the haziness is in the sky and you don't see much of the blue. But then you get that yellow gold kind of coming off of this hill. And what makes this image for me so amazing is the contrast between the shadow side of the dune and the highlight side and the wind that's blowing sand and putting streaks across the top of the dune and just having this awesome flow and atmospheric look to it with this really prominent curving line of a ridge lit up on a highlight, kind of like a rim lit piece of cloth where you see shadow on one side and then this wavy organic line that carries from the far left all the way down to the bottom right corner and it's just being kissed by a highlight of light that's drawing it out from the background and it's gorgeous. There's so much good motion in this shot. The composition is fantastic and it's just beautiful. This White Sands image made me want to come to White Sands. It's your image, I think, was the first introduction for me back in, I think it was 2017, that I found out about White Sands National, actually at the time it was National Monument, but now it's a national park. So this image right here, since we're talking about it so much in detail, can you give us a quick what went well and how it turned out like this for you and how difficult it was for you to capture this shot that day? Do you remember enough about that moment? I'll tell you, I was really new to photography at the time, and that day sucked. Uh, (laughs) What sucked about uh, it? 
I was doing backcountry camping there, so this was not far from the site I was camping at. And it was about half a mile in, but it's half a mile of walking on sand. Which feels like seven miles, yeah. And I was carrying a pack that weighed between like 60 <laughs> and 80 pounds because I didn't know how to pack for backpacking. Right. Because <laughs> I thought, I, I need every single one of my lenses or I'm going to miss something. And I learned <laughs> that lesson immediately. <laughs> but yeah, this was taken pretty much. I was sitting on a flat spot on a dune next to my campsite and saw this and clicked a quick shot with my 70 to 200 went to go grab my tripod came back and it was gone the that little highlight was gone the really? sun had set too far oh that's oh okay so this was you know one of like two or three frames i took that were just handheld man it turned out fantastic for a zoomed in handheld were you all the way out at 200 for this you think yes you were Man, you really kept that motion nice and still, and the stabilizer in your 7200 worked out really fantastically. So when you were lining up this composition, you saw that rim, that highlighted ridge that caused that line. You were featuring it from the beginning, huh? Yeah, it wasn't as clear when you were looking through the viewfinder, just because, you know, the your eye can see so much more than your camera can. Right, exactly. So it, it comes across as the shadows are brighter than they are, but once you get them on the, in the camera, then you can kind of really see the natural contrast that was existing in the photo. And, you know, just through processing, I kind of emphasize that contrast between highlights and shadows a little more. Yeah, it's brilliant. And, this is one of those images that we all have, I think, where you know what you've taken it, you feel that it worked out, you feel like you got something when you go to post-process it, you almost don't need to do too much for it to just shine. You don't have to paint tons of makeup on a pig to make it look beautiful you've got something that's got this natural beauty that's standing out entirely on its own and you're just trying to accent what's great and not ruin it and it comes out so brilliantly and no one could get this image again because the dune shape will be different the light angle the time of year the way that the wind is blowing that sand it's just this is a one in a one in a time one in a lifetime chance shot out here from this location have you ever tried to go back and recreate this image differently oh i i used to go back to white sands pretty much on a monthly basis because i used to live maybe an hour and some change away right on and i absolutely never got the same photo twice no matter how hard standing i standing in this exact spot park. i had been there and i don't even think that dune was that shape anymore you know the <laughs> oh, dunes yep. change so regularly ah oh, man this is such a good memory seeing this because this is my introduction to Aaron Martinez. So before we go into more stories of photography, people are interested more about how you got into this career as a news photographer. It is the impression that there are few and zero jobs out there for this. What's the reality of other people getting jobs in the same area? The reality is it is extremely competitive hmm. and... I think the biggest help for me was uh, kind of my editor at the El Paso Times was knew the editor here at the Austin American Statesman and, you know, kind of like nudged his elbow and says, hey, you should look oh. into that guy in particular. <laughs> it's who you know, not what you know. Yeah, it helps. It helps immensely to know people in the industry. It's not that there's not jobs out there. It's just they're they're so hard to get into. So when you said it was a long interview process, what are some of the things that they needed from you? That is there at any point where they asked you something you thought, oh, I'm so glad I'm good at this already, or anything that stood out that you wished you had been better at? I mean, 
as I said before, you know, I, I felt good when they were talking about my portfolio because uh, I do feel it shows great versatility. Just, you know, na- nature photography and news photography are so different oh, yeah. from each other. Completely different beasts. And, you know, you you need a totally different eye from both of them. I, I've kind of talked to Elise Bender a, a little bit about yes, this. Bender, we love Bender. <laughs> you know, it's it's two totally different skill sets and two different ways of approaching images and you know having all of the above in my portfolio kind of showed a lot of versatility and it showed that I was willing to learn to do other types of photography or learn beyond just what I was comfortable with. So what would be your one-liner distillation of that for advice of someone who wants to do it? Like make sure you do what? Make sure make sure you do what? I mean, you're basically saying it was saying try and do other types of photography, but if you could like really pinpoint a piece of exercise or practice that they can start doing now to give them more of a chance, what would you say? That was a really good question. Well, let's think about it, and we'll come back to it. I'll make this be your final question at the end of the episode. So okay. you have the rest of the episode to listen to what I'm asking you, think of new questions and answers, and also think in the background somehow what that answer would be. So maybe you'll come up to it. Let's go to the thing that you felt like you were most disappointed in in your application process. What do you think you were missing that you wished you had better? Anything? Give me a minute to think about it. No worries. While he takes a second and thinks about that, let's think about Elise Bender. I'm just talking about her and saying that we love her. And I say we sometimes because of Brendan being a part of this podcast in the past. And she has taken on the adventure of going out and going frequently. She's she's in an episode of the podcast. If you want to look back, just Google search Elise Bender. You'll see her name in it. Brendan interviewed her alone at the time when I had a crazy flu. And it was back years ago. So just look up for that. And you can learn about Elise Bender. But she came out with me to Faroe Islands. And just she has a great eye that's got a natural eye for it. But also a tenacity to get out there and get out there often. She does it a lot more than I do. She reminds me of Mary Beth Kaczynski with the kind of getting out there all the time. And so just Elise, if you're listening to this, we still admire you. think you're awesome. Did you have a chance to think about the answer to that question? Yes. So I think the biggest... I wouldn't say bummer, but, you know, the biggest issue I had with my interviews was uh, they proposed the question of what, where do you see yourself in five years? Essentially, the, where do you see yourself oh, in five okay. years or where do you want to go with your career or, you know, why do you want to come to the statesman or something along those lines? And why were and, you disappointed you know, in that answer? Because I had no answer. Oh, you uh, had none. You know, you know, I kind of have like an end goal of where I would like to be one day in mind. But, you know, as far as between now and then, I have no idea. Hmm. You know, I just, I wanted to get into the industry and, you know, figure out why later. <laughs> yeah. In five years, I want to be doing the same thing with higher pay raise. I mean, what else do you say? It's like, I want to be your boss by the time five years expires. I mean, it is something that is one of those gotcha questions that is more about learning the way you think than finding out about a skill set that you need in the day-to-day. And so mm-hmm. speaking from the day-to-day skill set, what is a day in the life of an Austin news reporter? You wake up in the morning and you got the Ninja Turtles and you're, you're I'm saying Penny in my head. It's not Penny, it's April. You're April and you're going out there taking pictures of what they're doing or do you have 
18 different things you got to do in one day. What is the life like for a photographer for a newspaper? Depends on the day, but, you know, in general, uh, an average day for me is I wake up, we have this uh, a photo calendar of requests where editors will put in an assignment or reporters will put in an assignment or stuff like that. We check it every morning, look for our name. If we have stuff to shoot that day, great. If we don't have stuff to shoot, that's when we do our time of driving around trying to look for stories or, you know, scouring Facebook events or Twitter and seeing what's going on around the city and, you know, when we don't have assignments given to us, we're pretty much out and about trying to find something. How many hours in the day do you give to that when you're just looking for something? If I have absolutely nothing going on, you know, I'll be out and about and kind of digging around for the full day. And if it's oh. a really, really slow day and there's absolutely nothing going on, you know, I could be looking and, you know, shooting little things here and there for just a solid eight hours and drive 150 miles in a day. <laughs> wow. Just hoping you come across some interesting story. Mm -hmm. So do you have a desk at the office? Do you have a place that's yours? Yes, question mark. Uh, (laughs) Yes and no. (laughs) So our paper is moving offices in September. Oh, I see. So there was absolutely no reason for me to set up a desk. So I do have a desk. It's not at the office. It's at home. Ah, perfect. Remote working. So if you're going off like that with assignments, what would you say is the most awesome assignment you've received so far? And what was the most mundane assignment you've been given so far? Well, it depends on what you consider awesome. Uh, You know, I think the best part about my job is meeting people. Mm. And, you know, for Fourth of July, we did a little feature story where I had to go to a man's house and photograph him. And he's the last surviving Marine fighter ace from world war ii so he's an ace pilot shot down seven planes in a single battle really over iwo jima and he served in world war ii korea and vietnam oh you're kidding he went to all of those and he was in for 30 years and you know to to some people that one might be like a that might be the mundane like go to a guy's house take his photo and leave Ah, right but to but to sit down and talk to someone like that, you know, it felt like, like I was speaking to a history book. So what I consider awesome assignments are really the ones where I get to meet interesting or unusual people and learn something while I'm there. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, just some guy sitting in a homeless camp or something like that, mm-hmm. or, you know, the president of the United States. It doesn't matter if they're interesting people they have a good story and i like listening to them that's my idea of a great assignment (laughs) that is a very good point when you think about that day when you went out to that guy's place tell us about the best picture you captured of him i mean the best photo i got of him was just a simple candid image of him talking to our reporter and you know he she said something that made him laugh and he mm-hmm. I, I have a photo of him with a big smile on his face with all of his uh you know marine and wartime memorabilia behind him in a cabinet it's it's nothing fancy it wasn't like not an award-winning image by any means but you know he he has this awesome expression on his face and mm-hmm. you know you have his whole his his military career behind him in a glass cabinet it was just an image that kind of embodied the whole that's story we were doing yeah awesome 
what would be the most mundane, the thing that someone who's thinking about getting into this job needs to know that this is a reality of what you'll also be doing. It's not just going to be war veterans and heroes from 1940s through Vietnam. What else do you get to have to do? Uh, you get a lot of boring assignments, <laughs> I'm being honest. <laughs> yeah. What are those boring you know, assignments like? I mean, I mean it boring, could be but... something as simple as, you know, you're at a school board meeting for one of the local independent school districts and just getting mug shots of some of the board members or okay. I was in uh, West Austin a few weeks back photographing traffic cameras because <laughs> we needed them for a story. How do you line up a good shot of a traffic camera that makes you feel proud of the image still? I mean, it's, I wouldn't say I'm proud of any of them, but I feel like I, I got something that was relatable to the story. You know, they, they had these license plate cameras that were installed and they weren't supposed to be or something mm. along those lines. And something as simple as the camera with the car driving by was all we needed. <laughs> so, so even the mundane assignments, like anyone trying to get into the industry, the mundane assignments, you you can look at them in two ways. You can be a, downer about it and say this sucks this is boring you know i'm a photographer at the third biggest paper in this network and what the hell am i doing taking pictures of traffic cameras <laughs> or you can say well i'm going to use this as a moment to practice i'm going to try odd stuff weird compositions let's try this lens let's try that lens you know it's it's kind of a time to experiment for me when i get the little mundane stuff mm. and that serves as practice for me for when i get the big assignments yeah, you know if something if something big pops up and I see something similar to, you know, like something I shot at a school board meeting or whatever, I'm like, oh, this worked then. This will work for this as well. <laughs> so the the little mundane stuff, you know, they're, some of them can feel like they suck sometimes, but I use them as times to practice and be creative and kind of hone my craft in preparation for the big stuff where there's no margin of error. Well, then the last question I want to ask you about this is you mentioned earlier your inexperience at White Sands bringing 60 to 80 pounds in your camera bag. So what is a professional journalist camera bag looking like? What do you carry with you? I mean, my general daily kit is two camera bodies, a 24 to 70 and a 7200 and a few batteries, SD cards and a teleconverter. Like so that's my absolute- the holy trinity is what you bring with you. Yeah, that's pretty much my bare bones kit that I'll carry around with me every day. And it can go as low as a single 24 to 70 in camera body when I'm doing some little oddball stuff where I don't need the 7200 or something like that. Gotcha. Or, you know, when it comes to shooting, let's say a sporting event, for example, where I'll have three camera bodies, 24 to 70, a 7200, and then like a 400 millimeter prime or something like that. Yeah, nice. So my kit, my kit can range pretty dramatically. Makes sense. Makes sense to me. So I guess this isn't the last question because I want to ask one more thing about post-processing. Do they require you to do every image? And then do you have a tough time with that element or is that just like quick and dirty? I wouldn't say quick and dirty. Quick and clean. Is... <laughs> <laughs> Making it at least clean image and good looking and typical post-processing that you have to go through is what? Yeah, so usually when I get back from whatever assignment it is, I'll pop all the photos. I use I use Lightroom. We everyone kind of has their own workflows that work for them, but I use Lightroom because it's it organizes all my photos and it's super quick to use. Right on. I'll 
kind of like zip through all of the photos and basically just mark ones I like, filter them out, then go through the ones I like and get rid of the ones of those that I don't like. And then I have a really super quick and simple process. I'll just bring the highlights down a little, yank up the shadows and add some contrast. And that's pretty much all I do to the images with my landscape photos. You know, I can edit an image for two or three hours and then let it sit for a week and then look at it again. But right. with this, you know, I'm down to, you know, 30 or 45 seconds to do an image and then I'll go on to the next one. Oh, wow. So do they have a style guide and a look that they require for the paper to kind of keep consistent imaging? Uh, not necessarily, but, you know, you, you can kind of tell when your photos are odd ones out. <laughs> it's a very bare bones and organic style. You know, you're not going to do any warping or no Radiant spot mix. removal or anything <laughs> like that. It's just very simple adjustments. We all use the same gear, so all our photos kind of have the same basic process to them. Okay. But we'll make minor adjustments ourselves, and they all kind of, we'll, we'll have to keep them minimal. Makes sense. So then before we end this segment and go into our, first, our only break of the podcast and come back talking about stories and adventures out in landscape photography and milky photography, tell us if you thought of it, what your piece, the question was what the piece of advice would be, right, for someone who's going into it? Or was it another question about what was the most uh, mundane? You answered the mundane, you answered the most awesome the question that was pending was a piece of advice for those interested in getting into it, right? It was that distilling it into one sentence. That's what we were at. Oh, uh, yeah. Did you uh, have a chance to think about that, or should we take a quick break and come back to that at the very end of the episode? So I guess my one piece of advice for anyone looking to get into the industry is to really hone your craft, do everything you can, uh, become a good photographer before you try and really step in because you know they're gonna they're gonna skip over the the learning stage you're not gonna have time to learn on the fly mm -hmm. really so to be a, a decent photographer before you start in the industry and then make sure you know this is the biggest piece of advice is is to network get to know people in the industry because when the time comes there's always going to be a time where you can call a buddy and said, Hey, I just applied at your paper or something and just wanted to touch base with you. And that alone might get them to, you know, reach out to their hiring manager or the editor or something like that. So, you know, having, having a strong network in the industry and being a photographer that they don't have to babysit and, you know, is already proficient as a photographer are huge helps in getting yourself into the industry. Fantastic. So all of you who are thinking right now, I'm 22, I'm 25, I'm 38, and I need a new job, need a new career, and this is actually something interesting to me in my local area or somewhere of a dream area, get your portfolio to a point where you know that you're not going to have to use any time to pick up speed and learn. Take pictures of people and crowds and groups and focus on certain topics and tell a story with your images and get out there and know people. Find your dream 100 people out there that are in the industry. Get to know them somehow either by finding their Instagram or finding something that connects you to them and become their friends in a way that you could use them in the future and say, hey, I applied out there. I'd love for you to let them know that I applied and look at my application and see what advice they would give you. Absolutely perfect advice, Aaron. Let's go ahead and take our only break of the podcast. We'll come back and talk about a time when a cougar tried to kill Aaron Martinez. 
<laughs> when you think about coming to one of my workshops as $1,400 or $1,800, you're probably thinking, oh, I wish it was only $750 and maybe $950. That would be so much better. Well, now you have a chance. I have a one-day sale going off. It's the last one-day sale I'm ever going to do for my workshops, and there are 10 workshops you can use this for. I have intermediate workshops and advanced workshops. The intermediate workshops are $750. The advanced ones are $950. Quickly, let me go through the workshops that are available. The first ones are the intermediate ones, and I have one this year still in November 2021 at the Oregon Coast. It's actually Landscape and Milky Way. For the other intermediate workshops in 2022, there's April Bistai Badlands, May Salt Flats and Ward Charcoal Ovens, and the Salt Flats, man, we could get a reflection even better in May. Most likely, we'll have more of a chance to get that water to be in the in the area and flood the terrain and give us that mere reflection we wanted the Salt Flats. Oh, I can't wait to see, and I'm hoping, hoping for that. June, we have Crater Lake, Oregon Coast, and July, Canyonlands, Dead Horse Point, and Goblin Valley. For the advanced workshops, they're advanced because we are doing star trackers. Everyone is using a star tracker. I will guide you on the star tracker and help you with post-processing of the star tracker image. And those options are this year, October 2021, come with me to Goblin Valley Factory Butte and Hoodoo Village. And then in 2022 options, you have one of the Crater Lake weeks, actually. Crater Lake in June. So there's two weeks in Crater Lake to choose from, one that's intermediate and one that's advanced. Then August, Goblin Valley Factory Butte and Hoodoo Village. October, Fall Colors, Milky Way in North Carolina. And a secondary advanced workshop of Fall Colors and Milky Way in North Carolina. Yes, you heard it. I'm finally, and you know, before my workshops are over forever, well, over for now as I take a break from doing photography workshops, I am going to the East Coast. So any of you in the East Coast who've thought, I've always wanted to come out with you. Well, do you want to spend $950 or $1,800? This is the most affordable way for you to join me on the East Coast where we can do landscape photography, fall colors out there in beautiful North Carolina, and go out to the Lynn Cove Viaduct off of the Blue Ridge Parkway and get a Milky Way in these locations. I'm excited to do this. With the advanced workshops, we also do deep sky. We track the Orion constellation and track some deep sky objects like the Andromeda Galaxy and have some fun working on those. So come and join me. These are my last workshop adventures for at least several years as I take a break from doing these and I hope that you will join me. So check out the link below in this podcast or go to my Facebook page at the Photog Adventures Facebook page. You will see the link there. Check out the website at photogadventures.com to get to it 750 or 950 it's 50% off the normal price and it's only going to continue until the end of Friday so at midnight Friday night heading into Saturday morning this sale is over and it's the last time I'll do one of these one day 50% sales so check it out and I will see you out there on an adventure Welcome back to the Photog Adventures Podcast. I'm hanging out here with Aaron Martinez, a hobbyist turned professional photographer out in the Austin area of Texas. And now that we've talked about all the things that got him into his job, his current position as a staff photographer at the newspaper there, I want to talk a little bit about your adventures. And there's one that you shared with me at the end of 2020 that I really want you to relay. Because recently I had someone ask me about safety and being safe out there. And you had an experience, I believe it was in New Mexico when you had it, where you ran into some wildlife. Can you take us through that entire night? (laughs) Well, I've had a few brushes with wildlife in New Mexico because, you know, there's not a lot of people out in the wild there. So they kind of don't know 
they come right Jackpot up to you. Humans sometimes. <laughs> sometimes they'll come investigate about who's who's around. But yeah, the the story in particular I think you're referencing is uh, I was in southern New Mexico, south of Deming, in an area I'd like to shoot around there. It's called the they're they're called the Florida Mountains, and there's a wildlife refuge there. And I was shooting just east of the Florida Mountains, and I had gone out. Planned to camp there overnight, kind of set up my truck for car camping. And during the day, I kind of set up a composition with photo pills or. Yeah, I set up a composition with photo pills, set up my tripod, then had dinner, hopped on my truck, took a nap. But uh, when it got dark and it was time to go out and shoot, you know, I, I got up at one point, my my personal I guess workflow is to, or my, my personal procedure is to crack all my windows on my truck, shine my flashlight around, just look around me, you know, just be aware of my surroundings. And I caught a glimpse of a mountain lion next to my tripod. (laughs) And as I shined the light at it and, you know, it, it kind of looked over at me and, you know, I kind of like opened and slammed my door to see if it would scare it away and, you know, startled a little bit and knocked my tripod over. Really? Oh, man. It, it was right around where my tripod was, and it, it threw my tripod over. There was and no camera on it, was there? No, my oh. camera was in my truck. Okay. I, I've learned from listening to Adventures with You and Kirk Kai is not to leave my camera unattended on tripods. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, I had a mountain lion throw my tripod over, and then... My tripod is maybe 30 feet away from me up a very rocky hill. Oh, man. So rather than go up and go pick it up on foot, I kind of put my truck in four-wheel drive, four-low, and like (laughs) crawled up this super rocky hillside next to my tripod, hopped out, propped it up really quick, and then got back in my truck and basically shot out of my driver window for most of the night. (laughs) Did you ever see the mountain lion again? No, it, it saw me there and pretty much took off and didn't really see anything beyond that. And you're talking, you were 30 feet away from this mountain line. And if you didn't have the habit that I don't have, where I shine a flashlight out my car before I get out of it, you could have opened up your door, walked towards your tripod, turned the light on and found out you were 20 yards away, 20 feet away from a mountain lion outside and you're outside and you're just right there on top of it. And they can see much better in the dark than I can. Oh, yeah. He would have known you were coming once you opened up the door. Maybe he would have left already. And that, that's really one of the best parts about the story that I want to share for those of you worried about mountain lions. This mountain lion didn't see him shine light on him and go, okay, cool. I'm going to go eat that guy and then jump on the vehicle and start scratching at the windshield. It wanted out of there as much as Aaron wanted it out of there. When the wildlife finds out you're around, it generally doesn't stick around. That's why, you know wildlife sightings aren't like insanely common, especially with some of these predators. So So take heart that you are probably not going to die at the hands of one of these predators because they hear you. And if you're making enough noise, you don't surprise them. You're going to be fine. I mean, when he did surprise this mountain lion, it got so off balance that it knocked over the tripod in the process. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, it's too bad. You didn't have a way of getting a picture of that mountain lion right there by the tripod before you uh, startled him. No, I, I wish I would have had like a flash on my camera or something to get that quick shot. But yeah, oh man, 
How much did you panic and think, I mean, I guess you stayed in the truck the rest of the night, so you were concerned about that mountain lion being nearby the rest of the night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I just kind of shot for my truck, but, you know, when it first happened, I had to kind of, like, weigh my decision. I was like, do I just go to Deming and park at a Walmart and camp there overnight and come back for the tripod in the morning? Do I <laughs> sleep in the truck and come back for the tripod in the morning? What do I do? And I was like, no, I came out here to shoot. Uh, how do I get up there? <laughs> Four-wheel drive? Perfect. I know that feeling of seeing something that's kind of dangerous and having it not leave your mind. I was in Escalante at Dance Hall Rock recently. So the workshop was probably my like 14th workshop night out there in the last five years. And in the last five years of doing this, I'd only seen a rattlesnake once and nothing else. And so I've never really worried. As we're walking to to the position that we're going to take our panorama and we go up to this flat space on the rock, I'm shining my light down and there's a scorpion, just a little two inch scorpion. I mean, it is (laughs) so non-threatening and yet I couldn't get my mind off of it because I have been out there in the dark where people are taking pictures. I'm walking around without my headlamp on so that I can capture up, catch up to each tripod and go over here, go over there, see how they're doing. I kneel, I sit, I put my hand down without even looking for anything because it's just a slick, smooth sandstone. I never thought anything about anything being there. And then I saw that scorpion at the beginning of our night and I... I couldn't put my knee down. I couldn't sit down. I couldn't do anything without quickly pulling my phone out and hovering the light close to the ground and kind of backing it away from the camera direction so that I don't shine a light on their terrain. And I had to double check every time. Where's that scorpion? Where'd that scorpion go? Is the scorpion nearby? And then as I would stand there by the tripod, I would picture the scorpion going up my boot and going up my pant leg. And it freaked me out. I could not get it out of my mind. And so once you (laughs) see something... You're worried, but it never came after me. It ran away from me every time I got close to it. And probably, in all honesty, I bet there's been like 30 scorpions around me in Escalante all over the years, and that was just the only one I saw. Yeah, but, you know, it's it's another lesson in safety, especially in concerning wildlife, you know, mm. check your surroundings and then, you know, yeah, don't be afraid of the wildlife. They're more afraid of you. A predator like that, if, if you injure it, it's it's that's pretty much a death sentence for it. So it bails early before it has a chance to get injured. Yeah, you most of us are bigger than mountain lions, so they're not gonna blatantly go out and go out of their way to try and attack someone unless they have absolutely no other option. Yeah, it's true. You know, most most wildlife in general, most keyword is most, mm-hmm. it will do whatever it can to avoid you or, you know, just ignore you. So before we end this episode, I haven't heard enough of your stories. And I know that with COVID and everything, we've all had different lifestyles and chances to go out. Maybe you've had more, maybe you've had less, but you had this new job. So tell me about one of your most recent great adventures, no matter how long ago it was. I think my biggest recent adventure was, God, maybe late 2019. Oh man, it goes back as far as 2019. You've been yeah, busy. I, I haven't really gone out for more than a couple of days since before the pandemic oh, I started. Yeah. Most so of the stuff is like that was a solo weekend winter. Sorry. So I was just saying one of those one-nighters or two-nighters, you don't count. Something that was longer than that, you have to go back to 2019? Yeah. It, in 2020, I didn't really take any long trips 
right. at all. It was just, you know, didn't want to be out, didn't want to be interacting with people. The few times I did go out, you know, I would fill my truck up, take gas cans, so I wouldn't even have to stop at gas stations or anything. Really? Yeah, the, the few little times I went into Mexico, it, it, was, it was all like night or weekend trips within, mm. you know, 200 miles or so. Right and on. just go out, shoot for a night, come home, tried to avoid restaurants, gas stations, all that stuff. Did you walk around with a tripod and poking people six feet, six feet, six feet? Didn't, I didn't even <laughs> stop anywhere where there was people. <laughs> right on. So you kept but, safe. I kept it. But before that, the I've only had one big trip in the last year and a half. Well, that's a story that many people listening might agree and feel like sad about too. They feel the same way. They haven't gone out much. So where was that place in 2019? Where'd you go? Pretty sure it was 2019. You know, last year felt like it was 10 years. Um, I know, right? We've lost all understanding of time. I was in the Pacific Northwest with Elise Bender and a friend of ours. Bender again. We got Bender in the story. Yes. Yes. That was the first time I met her. Oh, really? Okay. And who else did you say? Bender and Kirk? You saw Kirk Kais? I saw Kirk. We also met with a photographer there named Kelly Selzler, and then a photographer named Ken Bircham came from Hawaii to meet oh, us. Awesome. And Ken, Elise, and I did this big 10-day trip across the Pacific Northwest. Oh, that sounds awesome. Ken and I had initially planned the trip. We were going to be up there for 10 days, and I just one day decided, hey, Elise, uh, Ken and I are going to go up for a 10-day trip here. You want to go? And she says, absolutely, yes. I'm going to plan everything. We're like, Okay, that works she's for gonna us. She's going to plan everything for you. You invite her on your already planned 10-day trip and she's like, "I'll plan everything." She was that excited? Well, she's, you know, she's a professional tour leader and workshop oh, yeah, leader. Oh, she knows what she's doing. You know, I half the time I can't even plan a day to do laundry. <laughs> you were just you couldn't be more happier to let her plan it. <laughs> yes, that took a weight off of my shoulders. It's like, absolutely. So, she planned the whole trip and the itinerary and where we were staying and camping and all that stuff and I just planned all the social stuff and invited Kelly to shoot with us and talked about meeting with Kirk and shot with Kirk a little bit. So so what are some of the standout moments from that 10-day trip? Besides Kirk almost running out of gas in his Jeep and us having to push <laughs> it up the mountain. Whoa, that bad out of gas. Yes. <laughs> oh, how far do you get to push it? We didn't have to push it, but we, we got close there for a little while. And Kirk, Kirk will swear up and down that he had plenty of gas, but... That sounds like Kirk, yeah. <laughs> it, it took a lot of gas to fill his Jeep up, and I know that thing doesn't have that big of a gas tank. <laughs> Most days went smoothly. Some days, not so much. You know, I almost lost my 150-millimeter filter system to oh. a river. Oh, really? Yeah. The I have a Haida system. It has a little screw that kind of tightens it on and keeps it from moving. You're talking the big rectangle square glass that you slide in and then tighten on yes. it? Okay. And at one point, the little screw had broken off that holds the whole filter system to the ring on the lens. Oh. And I didn't even notice. And I, I rotated the filter to where I had the polarizer where I wanted, and it lined up perfectly with the notches to, just, for it to come off. So I shot my photo on a river. Elise was holding a branch out of the way for me because <laughs> it was in my shot. <laughs> this is really my shot. Can you go push that branch over there for me? And as soon as I shot, I was going to go do the same for her, hold the branch while she, t- she took a similar shot. But uh, as soon as I turned around, she, you know, hits me and says, your filter. <laughs> and I turned around just in time to see my uh, very expensive filter system sinking below the water. Oh, 
<laughs> so, it's already fallen off at that point, and you seeing you're seeing it just go underneath the surface of the water. Yes. So I <laughs> oh, I, I plunged my hand into the very ice cold water. <laughs> somehow managed to grab my filter before it took off downstream. Oh my gosh. Was it the entire filter holder plus the filter or just the glass? No, filter and holder and everything. Oh. I would have had <laughs> That'd be I would costly. have had the adapter ring that's permanently mounted on my lens and that's it. <laughs> you never even saw it come off. How many times have we done stupid things like that? Yikes. Did you get any great pictures? What tell me about the best picture you got in those ten days and then we'll call it on the podcast. Believe it or not, that's probably that one was probably my favorite photo okay super curvy bend in the river strong foreground lots of green in the background a funny note about that photo is uh ken and kelly were with us and they were kind of standing in my shot so i told them to either get out of the way or or hide behind a log or something (laughs) so they both kind of ducked behind this big log i took my shot processed it and then all the way up to the printing process, I printed the photo and one day noticed there's this little spot in the photo where I can see Kelly's bright blue jacket through the, the logs. <laughs> yeah. Finally, you see it after that, all of that work After After did. printing it. Uh. And I, I refuse to clone it out because it makes me laugh. <laughs> You're like, get out of the picture or duck behind that log. And then they show up through with their fluorescent jackets. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, so, I mean... Yeah, last year was was a rough year for all of us, so I, I haven't been on any big trips. I don't know if you've been on any in the last year, but I, I certainly haven't. Thanks to workshops after June, I have. But on my own personal time, until I got a vehicle against my vehicle's broken, I haven't been out. And so I'm just glad to get back into it. I was telling Aaron before we started the podcast that I'm going to make a drive down to Texas because I've never been there. And that'll probably be my first personal trip non-related to any workshop that i've taken this year you haven't even done even like little weekenders or anything nope not yet not yet but this trip that you did in the pacific northwest i I can't recommend oregon specifically enough and i haven't made a good trip out to washington so it sounds like when i do go if you're ever off work in a way that you can join me that'd be awesome to have you show me some of the spots you went in washington assuming i can get the time off then absolutely (laughs) Exactly. Well, this has been fun to hang out with you and talk about how it's a success story of being a nature photographer and a hobbyist that goes into doing this full time. It's not always full timers are real estate agents who are selling pictures of houses. It's not always people who just sell workshops or sell their prints. There's other ways that we can go full time in this hobby. And if there's nothing else, I just want to encourage all of you to think about ways that maybe you can take this interest of yours and, you know, make it fun, make it a fun job for you in the future. We all spent 2020 thinking about things about, okay, what's important in our life? What's really not important in our life? And maybe some of you are thinking right now that you're going to get out of the nine to five or you want to change what your nine to five is and focus more on your passion. Hopefully this has been a little inspiring about how you can join Aaron Martinez in the world of professional photographers working in the news industry. Surprisingly that they're hiring more photographers still, even with all the stock photos out there and with all the newspapers going under, you still can get a job in this industry. So Aaron Martinez, tell us again where we can find some stuff of yours, how we can follow you on Instagram and online and see your work. I mean, the primary thing where I I continuously update is my Instagram. It's Aaron underscore Martinez underscore photography. All right. Nice and and short. That's the primary one. If you 
follow me on Twitter. It's Aaron E. Martinez, no spaces or anything that I just post, you know, links to stuff I'm working on for work and stuff like that. It's, it's nothing exciting, but Instagram's the primary thing that primary place where I share recent work and what I'm doing. And you can kind of interact with me the best there. And it seems like that'd be a good place for someone who's interested in going into the newspaper industry. They can find out what you're actually doing and keep in contact. So that's an awesome way for them to reach you. Fantastic. Awesome. Hey, thanks so much for joining me today. I know that we've hung out a couple times on live streams and hanging out with the MilkyWayPhotographers.com group. So I want to emphasize if you want to read Aaron Martinez's famous Pentax articles over at MilkyWayPhotographers.com, <laughs> check it out and look for his articles. There's plenty of great stuff over there. Kurt Kaiser does an awesome job managing that website. And Aaron Martinez is one of our writers over there. So thank you so much. I hope that you have a great time the next few weeks. But I'm coming to mess with your life for Tuesday and Wednesday. And by that point, one thing that came out of Nightscaper is that I had people telling me that what they want more of are these vlogs that I used to do, the adventures. And I don't get very many views with those type of YouTube videos, so I stopped doing them. But that was the big request. And so what I'll do is I'll capture a whole vlog with an adventure with me and Aaron Martinez. You will get a chance to see us sitting in a car and then turning on the flashlight, shining it around us, (laughs) and then getting out. We'll show you exactly how to do it. And with any luck, there'll be a cougar and we'll capture it on camera. (laughs) And you get to be one of the very lucky few that gets to have me in front of a camera. Oh, yeah. I can't wait. You're going to be featured strong. (laughs) I mean, I got a hat on to make myself look good. You got a full head of hair, so don't worry about being in front of a camera. You look awesome. So we'll have Aaron Martinez out there showing us his skills in person in Texas here by the end of September. I'll be out there. So thanks so much again, man. Thank you, everybody, for joining me. Remember, get out there. Get out there and have an adventure of your own. Don't waste any time if you have the time do it. Don't do what I do where I think I don't have enough money to do it. Just get out there and have fun. So thank you and thank you Aaron Martinez. Thanks for having me on. You bet. See you everybody. Sweet. And you, and you just made a promise to all your listeners that you're going to come down in, in September so now you have now to. Now I got accountability. <laughs> <laughs>